Welcome to Shad Speak. I'm your host, Teddy Katz. If you don't know what Shad is, the only thing to know is when Shads speak, people listen. And when you listen to Shads, you become smarter, hearing how they're trying to change the world. Maybe you could do the same. Today on Shad Speak, we want to introduce you to a man who was recently named one of Forbes China Top 30 Under 30. Stephen Wang is one of 32 Shad Fellows who went on to become Rhodes Scholars. Today in the first of a series, we're going to catch up with some of the Shad Rhodes Scholars to hear what they're doing now. As you're about to hear, Stephen has been called one of China's rising social entrepreneurs, and today we're going to find out why. Stephen, welcome to Shad Speak. Thank you so much, Teddy. Thanks for having me. Well, it's our pleasure to have you. Let's start by telling our listeners why you've been called one of China's rising social entrepreneurs. Tell us a little bit about that. It's quite a bit of an, an accident in some ways, but also serendipitous because I think it's a accumulation of many of my experiences having been born in China, but then grown up in Canada and have had the experiences since I was high school starting a youth community action group and then going to Shad. Um, during high school and these experiences of how to get young people more engaged really planted the seed and then into my undergrad sort of having a chance to go to over 20 countries doing development work and, and studying international relations but then uh, later on after Oxford choosing back coming back to China to learn a bit more about my roots which then kind of started this track of seeing how I could get involved in doing something in the social impact uh, and social venture, which has led to how I founded Ichao and being the founder and, and um, chairperson, where we encourage top young talents, especially uh, of this generation from China, from all around the world, to serve in social sector organizations. Uh, sort of a call to action uh, for more people to really help build up the social sector in China, which I think is really um, like how we saw the economic boom in China. Now we're seeing the social boom. It's full of new opportunities, and, and in that sense, we're kind of really leading the charge to getting more young generation to be involved. And in that sense, I think uh, we're sort of at the frontiers, and maybe that's one of the reasons why uh, there is so much energy around this work. What kind of culture exists in China when it comes to, to social entrepreneurship that you're trying to now reach into? It's quite new because in the past couple years because of the yeah. role of more um, you know those so Alibaba Tencent the big corporate technological sort of new forces and also those who have recently uh, business entrepreneurs have also made more money and then also a new millennial generation that's had more international exposure there's a lot of new I think forces joining to say you know how do we connect what we do uh, you know, having made all this material success to then to having a more sort of a meaningful life and also social impact. So I think it's it's really quite emerging. And you see this uh, new generation that's more aware and wanting to give back more. But obviously, there's also a lot of things that are not uh, quite there yet in terms of the ecosystem. You know, unlike in Canada, we have a lot of the pieces in terms of uh, the support structure, the foundations, the laws, regulations, the uh, policies, and the um, legal and other kinds of support that's already quite uh, developed. I think China is right in the process of 
really starting to professionalize and, and to develop a system, an ecosystem for supporting that. So it's all quite new. At the same time, there's still a lot of challenges. Uh, but I think that's what makes it, I guess, quite exciting because a lot of things can be created uh, in, on a very quick basis and, and new things are popping up. So how does the work that you're doing manifest itself? Take, take us, paint us a picture of the kinds of things that your, your company is doing when you, in, when you talk about building those connections and building out that social yeah. entrepreneurship. One of my experiences was looking at, one, there's a big talent gap in the social sector, but two, providing more avenues for not just recent graduates, but also young professionals who are looking for a, a venue to really make an impact. So what we have done is create a one-year full-time public service fellowship where we place um, recent graduates, including those who come back from overseas, or young professionals who worked in consulting different sectors, and then we place them in different um, you know, environmental, educational, working in uh, anti-poverty related foundation social enterprises across China. And then we also mat sort of not only place them in the most exciting entrepreneurial roles within those organizations, but then provide them with a holistic sort of training, kind of a, you know, a boot camp, sort of a crash course. And then also a year of mentorship and also a community support where we also take them around China to learn about some of the most exciting social entrepreneur, social innovation models around China. And so really it's a kind of creating a, a community and a sort of a very, I think, a prestigious model of public service that's never been seen before in China. And after this one year of this very intensive program of service, then there's different tracks. Some continue to stay and working in these organizations. Some, some start their own uh, social enterprise. Some bring this experience back to, for example, the private sector. Um, and then some also, uh, for example, continue to, to study something related to this. So it creates different paths that allows, I think, really developing future social leaders who have really a deep experience. And they also form a very, very kind of a unique community of those who have very different backgrounds, but also share this common experience of working in the social sector, bringing different perspectives. So this really cross-sector uh, mindset. And then in the process, because it's a very prestigious model, every one of them becomes a case study and a role model, I think, for this new generation of young Chinese to say, oh, wow, so before we can only just think about going to traditional like finance or consulting, now we have these other paths we can choose. Even for a year or two, it really kind of changes the game for them. And, and I think redefining how we think of success. And, and Stephen, how many people have you, have you been able to reach so far with this? Where are you in the process? We've just finished uh, uh, two cohorts of fellows. We're on to the third cohort, actually about to launch the third cohort, um, uh, recruiting at the end of this month. So, every, and, and because the way we've modeled it, so for example, the first cohort, it's very selective. So we only took from 500 applications, we only took 10 uh, for the first cohort. And then after this sort of gradually scaling, so every, you know, about 20, 30 fellows, um, because the reason is we wanted to really have every one of them to be a really unique case study of, of somebody, you know, coming from, for example, an international background or from private sector. And then at, at one of sort of the most, so for example, at one foundation, well, one started by Jet Li actually is one of the most influential foundations in China uh, and, and really leading kind of completely a new uh, initiative that nobody would have ever been able to do. And, and in that sense, so it's really kind of a, we think of a pyramid model. So at the top are sort of these each of fellows, but then afterwards in different parts of the pyramid, we can include more 
people to be involved through part-time programs, volunteer programs. So it really creates a kind of a, uh, a chain. And when you talk about the case studies, um, what's the, the best example that you have to date of how this is, how this is working and helping, helping those individuals? Yeah, just to give you a couple examples. So uh, one of the fellows, Xu Fei, he actually um, undergrad and, and uh, master's. So he's Chinese, but he did his master's in Canada at McGill. And he studied neuroscience and worked at the UN uh, in New York. And then he learned about each child, which, you know, sort of, for example, um, through our work, he said, wow, there's this cool Chinese uh, uh, philanthropy space uh, that's useful. So he was able to bring his background uh, using data science, using machine learning to make the philanthropy data in China more efficient, more transparent, and comparable to international standards. And and really, the head of the foundation, CFC, there said, we without each other, they would not have been able to find someone like uh, Xu Fei. And then Xu Fei has also been able to be this really amazing bridge between China and our international foundations. And then another case is Aaron, he worked at Bain before four years. He actually turned down Wharton Business School to uh, work at one foundation, 3 Chow, uh, one of also our star fellows. And he used really his kind of strategic consulting mindset and ability to link together business and the private sector uh, and sort of the social sector at one foundation to create a shared refrigerator concept, basically and in whole different communities across China, creating these very unique uh, models where if you cannot finish some food, you know, local homeless people can take up sort of uh, and, and take up take up the food in a way that's very safe and sustainable. And and really, he's he's kind of created this whole platform where you know they can distribute this uh, to hundreds of communities across China. And I think what's really exciting now is we're seeing the fellows are now going into universities and also teaching young people, you know, how they they have created, you know, these very interesting models of making social impact in China. They're in that process also kind of becoming, I think, new uh, role models for, for young people. So so we see this like this new energy really from from this new generation that's that's really I think adding something quite unique that previously was a very marginalized sector, to be honest. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest values is that bring that to the mainstream. For me, people realize actually, yes, it's China is still in some ways going through a kind of a materialistic phase, but that in fact we have this new generation that's actually willing to create new paths, and that's I think what's what's pretty cool about all this. For for those who aren't living in China and don't maybe know yeah. it as intimately as you do, why why would something like social entrepreneurship be so marginalized in the past? Mm. Well, I think maybe even beyond social entrepreneurship, I think philanthropy or charity uh, as a broader whole, I think there's a lot of challenges because just it, it, it was a sector that didn't have a lot of resources previously. So where, you know, the the, the business sector really boomed, uh, this was a sector that kind of continued to fall behind in terms of the, the tension resources. And I think there was a lot of public sort of mistrust you know there was a few cases in China that where donations they weren't sure where it went or people claimed they worked to charities but had made lots of money but in fact they didn't work at charities but then people weren't sure oh you know are people using this sector to to for other motivations you know and really that trust was lacking and I think more broadly people are still very focused on sort of more traditional careers you know in terms of you know where can I make the most sort of 
economic success. So I think how how do we broaden that sense of social and civic engagement? That sense of that you know social responsibility hasn't been something that previously was was really a big part of the the culture, but now I think people are realizing well. You know, I've I've done pretty well. You know, I think I think I've covered my bases. What what's more to life? And you see this with whether it's business uh, entrepreneurs, uh, with the middle class, uh, with all sorts of people. You know, who who want to be more involved with you know the common good, so to speak. I think now we we just see this trend of you know sort of more people wanting to really have this being part of a sort of a life lifestyle. You know, everybody can be having some sort of public interest in charity as part of their life, and then social entrepreneurship itself is really while you know we've had seen this in maybe for thirty years in in the West, really before this wasn't kind of a, a an idea. You know there was entrepreneurship maybe maybe there's charity, but then how do you connect these different ideas together? So I think this is where I think a lot of cross fertilization can take place, and there's a lot of foundations that are looking to how to connect that between China and the West, and and this is where I think the innovation where it's saying okay we're not completely copying the model in the West, but there's definitely lots of ideas we can bring, and then how do you make it more localized? You're starting to see new movements, a lot of debates. You know what's the role, for example, business in charities and philanthropy, and and you know and pros and cons. So it's it's really kind of a quite exciting. A lot of discussion because there's a lot of philanthropy laws are coming out, but still a lot of things are are waiting to be sort of created because before there was just was not that infrastructure. Stephen, what are the biggest challenges in trying to do in trying to do what you're trying to do with with your organization in China compared to say Canada? Right. So I think one is definitely I think being more mindful of the、uh, broader I think government sort of policies. The government realized previously the social sector was quite a, a bit big chaotic, and there's all kinds of different you know sort of、uh, actors in this field. So they really want to clean it up and say, okay, we're gonna just really make it more streamlined and standard. And this was the, the philanthropy law coming out. So really being more sensitive, attuned to that broader context. There, I think also. Realizing that in this kind of context, you really have to be more knowing, sort of where to find the resources, because it's not as clear cut. It's not, you know, not everything sort of laid out. So you have to really be very quick at figuring out, okay, where are the ways where I can find the, the sort of support you need, because it's not readily available. You have to be sort of a little bit resourceful and, and inventive and creative to finding that. And then I think also in terms of language framing it. So thinking about you know what even the term "gongyi" in Chinese, like is it philanthropy? Is it charity? Is it social innovation? You know what's the right terms that 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 kind of distinguishes these these sometimes very new concepts, and then also in a way that can tap into the public imagination. Can、so、I, I just ask you that for a second? Gongyi、yeah. is gongyi is the word that you used. What what does gongyi mean? Yeah, Gongyi. I think it、uh, it can be it can mean public interest, but some people also、uh, say it's philanthropy. So I think it, it's one of those things where the Chinese concept and the English concept is not、uh, cannot be probably directly translated. So this is where it's quite interesting because I think there's a need for more not just people who can translate the languages, but then also communicate across cultures. Because I think that's where a lot of the synergy and innovation can come from. Is actually to explain okay because China 
while it hasn't had a traditional sense of that sort of philanthropy, I mean, but there has been, you know, more family-based, for example, uh, philanthropy and that kind of thing. So how do we then take those kind of concepts and then relate it to modern Chinese philanthropy and then also what's happening internationally? So that takes a few different steps. So right now we're actually seeing a lot of new uh, for example, academies popping up for people to really just define the terms and really educating, you know, for example, recent philanthropists, how, you know, how does this work? And we're seeing a lot of them going to, um, you know, Harvard Kennedy School, they're going to um, different Rockefeller Foundations and, you know, to learn about, you know, what's happening out in the West. And so there's a lot of, I think, communication on both sides starting to happen more. But I think there's still that even in terms of definitions, for example, how, what is a social enterprise? You know, can you have a profit-driven uh, enterprise for social good? You know, because there's no laws around it. So, so there's a, it's, it's all up in the debate. That's what's kind of both, I think, uh, quite unusual about it, but also quite interesting because you can really shape the debate if you are in the midst, midst of really kind of, you know, in the middle of the action. I'm curious what's in the name for you in terms of how you came up with the name Eshao yeah. uh, China and if it means something specific right. as well. Yeah, absolutely. So E-child, E is, stands for Gong Yi. So that's the public interest, the common good part. Chow means bridge. And so that's that's the two, two, two words coming together. And the bridge part, I think, is a very important piece because I see the role of E-child fellows really um, playing in a number of different ways. And because they're both a bridge, for example, between the private sector and the social sector, because many of them come from this different background and they're linking the two through their work they're also a bridge i think between sort of the more you know those who navigate at the upper strands of society and those more on the grassroots level so really because because we're starting to see sometimes that segmentation you know between different aspects of, of chinese society you know the the rich get richer the poor get poor so how do we get you know different socioeconomic groups to to really talk to each other so that's another bridge and the third piece i think is between local and china and the world so really i think in this world that seems to oftentimes being pulled apart in different directions trying to really be that bridge maker and that's what i hope each child can do in fact one of the vision i have for this is why i call each other china is because one day i hope that it maybe has an international element for example almost like a chinese peace corps you know in that words in one sense not just only having for talents to come back to serve in China, but wanting to go abroad, for example, with the national strategy going more one belt, one road countries, you know, one of the things I think is to for China to do more social service and public service on the international stage. And we're starting to see that in Africa and other places, but it's still quite new and preliminary. So I think that's where a role, I think, for a more, uh, you know, a young generation and a more, more genuine kind of a people to people exchange, a cross cultural exchange is very necessary. I'm curious how, um, you know, with, with your aspirations and what you're trying to do, how um, Forbes China recognized you as one of their top 30 under 30. How did that come about? Right. So I think they had a, uh, a selection process where they're saying, OK, what are sort of the new um, sort of uh, sort of rising trends in this field and you know sort of for example um there's lots of people doing just traditional sort of uh work but really are there other kind of new forces emerging and one of the forces that i think we represented was linking this really underdeveloped but growing sector and on the other hand bringing a new generation of young talents and connecting these two pieces and i think because of my story of someone who has you know has roots here 
but then grew up in the West and then coming back and then being one of the first Rhodes Scholar with the Chinese heritage, really sort of at the forefront of doing this work. I think it really, because I think Part of it was I, I was pretty active in the past couple of years, I think doing a lot of, for example, uh, advocacy, public speaking uh, at the top universities, in uh, in the social sector, private sector, and, and more broadly. So I think it really created a sense of a kind of a, a new uh, narrative around sort of, because previously a lot of the people who had these very impressive resumes, you know, were just went to the very traditional tracks. So we really kind of opened a new door and not just myself doing it, but now a group of people doing it. And so I think for Forbes, which thinks often about success, you know, often success for this young generation, if they're under 30, we really kind of represent it. So I was very lucky not only to be selected from, you know, they, I, obviously they, they had a panel of judges, uh, from different sectors, but then we I was also invited to speak as one of the keynotes in Shenzhen this year with uh, one of the people pre um, speaking before me was actually the uh, the one of the founders of Tencent, you know, one of the big uh, tech uh, platforms. And so I, I was saying the fact that I was here at Forbes represented that this generation, we measured success not just by the economic, you know, whether those uh, they went IPO or, you know, their company made how much, but that that in fact we measure success by the, the social impact and then that sense of meaning that we have. So I think that story itself, I think, was very meaningful. And I think it starts kind of creating a new way of thinking about what is success for, for our generation. So I, I feel very grateful because it's, it's still very early in the journey, but I think it certainly helps elevate to, to that, to another level. And then recently, you know, being featured on CGTN, the Chinese national television on the international platform, I think to show that China has actually these very different sides that we might not see in the typical media. Be, because of the attention you've, you've recently received from Forbes and then you were mentioning from Chinese uh, state television as well, are yeah. you better recognized in, in China as a result of all this? Yes, certainly. Yeah, I think, uh, the, you know, it's kind of like a, uh, you know, they, they have this term in Chinese called Wang Hong, which means like a sort of a, um, an instant or, or recent made sort of a uh, pop star celebrity, you know, in, in, uh, in, 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 and I think they just, you know, and this is, in the, and now I think this is kind of, um, before, you know, it's in other sectors, but now you have somebody coming out of that in the social realm. So it's kind of quite interesting. I didn't expect it, but I think now I feel the sense of responsibility because I'm also one of the first, uh, because the Rhodes Scholarship launched here in China just about over two, three years ago. Previously, it was in the Commonwealth countries. So because of the expansion, you know, on the globally. So, so Rhodes actually, so now I'm also being an ambassador for Rhodes in China. So I feel responsibility more than anything to really try to represent the right kind of spirit and values for this generation because I think this is one of my biggest motivations for doing this is I still see that there's a lot of uh, because a lot of pressure you know I talk about this in terms of family getting married get a solo down you know climbing the sort of the social uh, ladders really you know how do you get this uh, generation to take more risks, you know, to be more risk-taking, to think about their world and life beyond their own little circle. I think there's still a long way to go. So I, I feel like what, if anything, it's just I have that platform to really to try to inspire more people to do it and not just talk, talk big, but also hopefully through actions and then creating more paths for people to take 
I just want to ask you, Stephen, when you talk about your goals and that and what your your ultimate goal is through all this, I'm just curious well, if you could give the listeners a sense of what makes you tick. And, and yeah. you know, like when Stephen yeah. Wang, when you talk about Stephen Wang, like how would yeah. you describe what sort of, you know, gets you to leap out of bed in the morning type of thing is? Right. Right. I think one of the one of the pieces is, you know, how do we create a sense of really a sense of a common common good, you know, uh, in a fast changing society like China, which I think not just has a relevance stake for China itself, given the, so many of the different challenges, environmental, social inequality and things like that, you know, and, and obviously it's it's already doing a lot of great good, but there's still more, more deeply tackled, but also for the sake of the world. So I think really creating that sense of, you know, we, if we want to tackle the biggest problems facing the world, we need to get this, you know, a billion people here in this world to be I think one, especially obviously starting hopefully with this generation, but really all different kinds of uh, society's uh, elements to have that sense of a social responsibility to think about, you know, how we can do good, but then also that sense of global citizenship to really look, you know, uh, more outward and, and thinking about, you know, how do we relate to the rest of the world? And I think given, you know, China's influence, growing influence in the world, that this will be a more and more uh, pressing question. So really, I think we hope to really sort of, um, I think I think there's just so many, you know, things happening, technological forces, all kinds of things happening. But the people piece, I think investing in young people and and really try to create that sense of compassion and also i think trying to link as we're is sort of a modernizing world how do we bring in those elements of what's been great about for example chinese culture and its civilization its traditions but then also connected to this more global what's happening around the world and, and really for these different bubbles that we see now that almost seems to not talk to each other in this world, how do we really communicate across bridges? And so I really believe because of my experience is really being that someone who can translate across different cultures and then so that we can create, avoid misunderstandings, unnecessary misunderstandings, and really to to sort of get people to, to really work on those issues that are most important for our time. Well, Stephen, it's it's fascinating work that you're doing, and I I, I can't let you go. I, I mentioned off the top that we're we're checking in with with Shads, who went on to to win Road Scholars to find out what they're doing now. And I can't let you go without asking. You know, Shad has now had 32 fellows like yourself who've gone on yeah. to become Road Scholars. What role did Shad and the network you joined here through Shad have in you doing what you're doing now? Yeah, I think it's had a really just such a tremendous impact on me because actually I mentioned that, uh, you know, when in high school I started a something kind of a, almost a, you know, a, a mini version or, you know, zero zero point five version of, of each hour. It's called community action by youth cabbie. And I would not have started this uh, local community service group in Cambridge, Ontario, um, in in high school, if it wasn't for the chat experience, and so that chat summer really opened up my whole world to such a fascinating intellectual environment, you know, at university with just really exciting, dynamic, and energizing uh, young people of of our generation in Canada, and they were so diverse, you know, from all over parts of the Canadian society, but some, you know, from, from very parts of the world even. And we all thought about big issues, right? I think it was climate, energy, 
uh, technology, that kind of those big issues were asked to think about. And that really planted a seed. But beyond that, it also gave me this confidence to say, hey, maybe you can do something about it, too. And then also meeting great, amazing people like Barry Bison, you know, who he, he just really made that effort to get to know so many different Shad uh, fellows all across, you know, these different years and cohorts. You know, he... Um, You're talking so he, about Barry, our former president, just for exactly. the listeners to know. Yeah, it's just really amazing. You know, he went to UMB, he talked to us. So if any of you guys have any questions or thinking about next steps, you know, just let me know and we and we can discuss. And I've continued this conversation with Barry really since, you know, for gosh, how many years now? And every time I go back, I always try to, you know, just get some life wisdom from Barry. And, you know, so I think in that sense, just amazing role models and mentors that really kind of have guided me through this process. And I think in that sense, this community of what Shad represents is something that through what each child, this community we're trying to create, I think very much there's so many similarities and inspiration to be drawn from. And and likewise with the Rhodes Scholarship, I think Rhodes talks about fighting the world's fight or standing up for the world. I, I, I do see that again, has so many seeds that was planted at Shad. So, you know, it's funny, I, I run into people who, who've, uh, you know, gone through the Shad program at so many different parts, whether in Canada or, you know, when I was in England or or when I go to some global conferences at the World Economic Forum or, or you know, in, in different parts of Asia. And so I, I do feel like it, it's, a, it's a lifelong community and home. And uh, the the kind of the shared values that it creates that that I I think uh, is just really lays the foundation I think for for really the rest of your life and that's why this is like we need to tell these stories because we wouldn't be here without Shad and uh, Shad takes deserves a lot more credit I think oftentimes than you know uh, and, and I think this is why I think Teddy you're doing this program I think is really wonderful because I think more of these stories need to be told not just I think in Canada. But, but globally. Well, we are uh, are very pleased to have connected with you, Stephen. I know it's late at night, uh, your time, so we appreciate you staying up to, to have this conversation. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate this opportunity, Teddy. I've been putting um, law school, <laughs> Harvard Law School, on deferral for a few years. Um, my parents have had, you know, sort of kind of curious, you know, what, what are you up to here back in China? <laughs> Uh, and, you know, and, and then we're also in the midst of launching the third cohort. So it also happens to be other folks who are interested in learning more about the program or the fellowship. Uh, we're certainly happy to share more information and, and get them connected. We have a website, so www.eachaochina.org. So why why I Q-I-A-O, China.org. Yeah, and if any Shads are interested in reaching out to Stephen, they can contact Stephen through me at teddy at shad.ca. So I, and I'd be more than happy to connect you. Thanks, thanks again, Stephen. We really appreciate this and uh, all the best for the future. Thank you, Teddy. Okay, take okay. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Stephen Wang is one of 32 Shad fellows who went on to become Rhodes Scholars. He's on a mission to get young professionals in China to serve in the social sector there and was recently named one of Forbes China's top 30 under 30. If you want to get in touch with Stephen and your Shad Fellow, please write me at teddy at shad.ca and I'll put you in contact.
That's our show for this month. Please contact me, teddy at shad.ca, if you have an idea or a topic for an upcoming podcast. Please share with others and tell them to follow us on SoundCloud to keep track of all of our latest episodes. Join us again next month for another edition of Shad Speak. Bye for now.